Age of Dragon. That that's what we're going with. Okay. Well, well choose a different one then. Sophia, Age of the Dragon. Take it away. Sure. Why not? We give drink to the youth for years yet to come. For the age of the dragons is just about done. Sing it. She teleported. With your blood and your money, we'll send them back home. Okay. Down with the wind, the big ugly beast. On the day of your death, we will drink and we'll feast. We're the people of Skyrim and we fight for our lives. And when the dragonborn reckons, everybody must die. Okay. This land is mine, so let's see it but clean. Of the dragons that ruined our hopes and our dreams. Okay, I think we've reached the end <clears throat> of her melodic tune. Thank you for another episode. Yes, another episode. Bark, bark, bark. Welcome back to the Far Strider Podcast. I'm a Far Strider. I'm Daddy Tease. And this is another episode of Storytime with Daddy Tease from Tamriel. There we go. Something like that. Bark. Yeah. There we go. I see ya. <laughs> and Sophia is like talking up a fucking storm. Good lord, girl, calm your shit. I'm trying to get her pussy filled. <laughs> Apparently, bark. <laughs> um, so, if you caught the last episode, we got pretty buzzy. We gave you four books, which is one more than normal. Of course, yeah. that first book, god damn, that sucked. I don't even remember what it was. It was just shit. I don't know, but I'm buzzed. <laughs> the, the next three were pretty decent, though. Especially that second one you read. That was fucking off the hook with your voices, Bark. <laughs> I just felt inspired. Yas. <clears throat> yas, daddy. Um, to give our listeners what they want. Hell yes. A good story time. Hell Yes, let's give them exactly what they want. Um, and on that note, let's pick a book. Here. Oh, oh shit. I need to go in the book menu. Pick a car. Um, so I'm going to do what I did at the end of the last episode, which is randomly like go up, go down, go up, go down. And wherever down. you land, we have to read. And um, what's that spirit of the Nern? Spirit of the Nern. That's I think that's what we landed on. All right. Um, so let's do this, bitch. It's, it's stolen. I will have you know you are about to read a stolen book, Daddy. Oh my God, my ears, my eyes. Oh my goodness. So Spirit of the Nern with Daddy T's and take it away. Hold on, I got meat in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got hungry and we're buzzy, so we also have a plate of food here. Spirit of the Nern. <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> Fucker. Lorcan is the spirit of the Nern, the god of all mortals. This does not mean all mortals necessarily like him or even know him. Most elves hate him. Thinking creation as that act which surrendered them from the spirit realm. 
Most humans reverve him as aspects of him, as the herald of existence. The creation of the mortal plane, the mundus nern, is a source of mental anguish to all living things. All souls known deep down, they have come originally from somewhere else. And that nern is a cruel and critical step to what comes next. What is this next? I ask you, what, it, what is this next? That's a really what good question. What is this next? Wow. Some wish to return to the original state, <laughs> to the spirit realm. And that Lorcan is the demon that binders their way. To them, Nern is a prison, all illusion to escape. Others think that Larkin created the world as the testing ground for transcendence. To them, the spirit realm was already a prison. A prison. That true escape is now finally possible. The end. That was a short book. <laughs> Preach it, my brothers. I mean, they are basically writing a book about a plant, so... I don't even know. <laughs> it's, it's not so bad that it's that short. I don't know what the fuck is happening in this <laughs> book. No. I feel like it's better than the first one we read last episode. But not by much. <laughs> I don't know if it's about a plant or this is... I don't know. Um, well, Spirit and Urn, is it worth a read? Meh. If I were you playing this game at this moment, juncture in time, <laughs> that makes no sense, but <laughs> go with it. <clears throat> and you picked up this book and you were like, should I read this? No, I would tell you no. Agreed. I there's nothing in this there's nothing that you about need you. to beat the game of Skyrim. There's not even really it wasn't that entertaining except for the way you read it. Because <laughs> I thought we were preaching something about. <laughs> Nern root, but apparently it's about realms, and we're in a prison. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. That was uh, two horker tusks, because it was better than the one yesterday, or before previous episode, not yesterday. Uh, it's whatever. One and a half horker tusk. Do we need to give it one to twos and threes? Just. A. A Horker Tusk. Okay, Horker Tusk. Fuck you, Spirit of Nern. You know what? Fuck you so much. Into the fire you go from whence you came. Okay. Now That's we're okay. Gonna... It's not going to kill its spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're, we're like doing the... We're rolling the dice. We're out of the correct menu and into the wrong one. And we're just like going boom. And then we're like boom, boom, and boom. And we landed on the Amulet of the Kings. The Amulet of the Kings. But this is book two. And you know what we do before we get to book two, Daddy? We read the first one. We also take a moment to pause and number one, thank our patrons that pack really Farstrider. Yeah, I you just wonder, read a book. 
Oh, I thought you meant this is like book two. Like, <laughs> the Amir King's book two. <laughs> no, this is the second book of the episode. Oh. <laughs> and before we read the second book of the episode, we want to thank our patrons at Pack Farst Rider. Thank you all so much for being members of the pack. Thank You're you welcome. for supporting <laughs> what we do, making it possible to continue being ridiculous. Ridiculous with my husband, Daddy T's. And uh, also to invite everyone else in this Pride Month to join the pack at patreon.com slash farstride. Join the pack. Join the pack. It's amazing. It's amazing. You'll love it. Support a gay creator like me or another member of the Alphabet Mafia on Patreon by, you know, becoming a patron it's as little as five dollars a month it's cheaper than your coffee today daddy it's cheaper than my coffee every day it's way cheaper than a single bottle of wine (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so you can be can be a a, (laughs) i mean most of the bottles we buy are like how much was my coffee today your coffee today was like 783 that was a grande. No, that was a vente for them. That was a vente. That was not. No, it wasn't. That's There's the size no they call a vente. There's no way. Oh, then they, they made the, the wrong Starbucks size. Rules. Oh, well, shit. I overpaid for the wrong size. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck it. Anyways, uh, thank, join the pack. Become a member. You can find the links at farstrider.com. But also, you know, there's another way. If you don't want to join a pack and have a subscription, you can just go to shopfarstrider.com. Shop.farstrider.com. you ounce coffee and only got a 16 ounce or 12 ounce? 16. They were not 12 ounces. 12 is a tall. And we had way bigger than tall cups. That was not a vintage. Okay, well, I paid for... I think I paid for Vente. I asked for Vente. Maybe I said the wrong words. I don't know. Anyways, you can also go to shop.farstrider.com, our fancy new link available today, and you can shop just, you know, buy some sweet pride gear or some other, you know, fancy awesome merch like the Puplandia Pup Tea or the Puplandia Daddy Tea, perhaps, if you are also a daddy out there there in the world. Puplandia? Yeah, it says daddy. Oh. Just like there's the Puplandia cigar tea and design. You know, there's yeah. Puplandia pup, daddy, and cigar. So Three for all you daddy cigars. <clears throat> so for all you cigar daddies, there's a t shirt for you. Uh huh. Bark. Anyways, uh, <coughs> or. Oh, or. There's for more. All you puppies. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a cigar daddy t shirt for your cigar daddy. Uh huh. So, you know. And, you know, Father's Day is coming up. Oh, my God. Father's so Day is coming up. So don't forget your daddies or your alphas, you puppies. That's right. You better order now. Order now. Don't miss out. You know, otherwise it'll be late and you'll have to give them like a printout of the picture of the thing you ordered them. Because. And then you order. end up in chastity. Hmm. I mean, that's a win-win. Hungry holes all around. Depends on how long you're in for. <laughs> My limit is 10 days or I go insane. I like to push his limits. Ha! <laughs> okay. So, uh, farstrider.com, join the pack at patreon.com, pack farstrider links on the homepage, and also shop.farstrider.com, shop farstrider, and shop LGBTQIA. So, apparently, we're supposed to shop at farstrider. Happy Pride. 
Moving back into the episode, don't you love that hard left transition? Uh, we're going to read The Amulet of the Kings by Winengrus Monhana. I'm eating goldfish crackers. Do you want to read this or do you want me to read this book? I don't care. I'll read this book. We'll alternate this episode. Uh, so The Amulet of the Kings by Winengrus Winengrus Monhana. Read by me, Farstrider. Bark. In the first years of the first era. <laughs> I don't know why I always go to this voice. It just comes out. A powerful race of elves called the Aelids, or the Hotland High Elves, ruled central Tamriel with an iron hand. The high and beauty eyelids relied on their patrons. Oh, much like us. Patrons. <laughs> the treacherous Daedra Lords to provide. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pages are turning. The treacherous Daedra Lords to provide armies of Daedra and dead spirits. With these fearless magical armies, the Aelids preyed without mercy upon the young races of men in uh, slaughtering or enslaving them at their whim. On behalf of the suffering human races, St. Alessia, the first in the line of Cyrodiil's, sought to aid, sought the aid of Akatosh, the dragon god of Time and ruler of the noble Adra Akatosh, looking with pity upon the plight of men, drew precious blood from his own heart and blame, bleh, 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 blessed Saint Alessia with his blood of dragons and made a covenant that so long as Alessia's generations were true to the dragon blood, Akatosh would endeavor to seal tight the gates of oblivion and to deny the armies of Daedra and undead to their enemies, the Daedra-loving Aelids. So, <clears throat> Daedra lovers. Punctuation is important. Yes, punctuation is important. <laughs> In token of this covenant, Akatosh gave to Alessia and her descendants the Amulet of Kings and the eternal dragonfires of the Imperial City. Thus does Alessia become the first gem in the Cyrodiilic Amulet of Kings. The gem is the red diamond in the middle of the amulet. This is the symbol of the empire and later taken as the symbol of the septum line. It's surrounded, it is surrounded by eight other gems, one for each of the divines. So long as the Empire shall maintain its worship of Akatosh and his kin, and so long as Alessia's heirs shall bear the amulet of kings, Akatosh and his divine kin maintain a strong barrier between Tamriel and Oblivion. 
so that the mortal man need never again fear the devastating summoned hosts of the Daedra Lords. But if the Empire should slacken in its dedication to the Nine Divines, or if the blood of Alessia's heirs should fail, then shall the barriers between Damrel and the Daedric realms fall, and the Daedric worshippers might summon lesser Daedra and undead spirits to trouble the races of men. Ooh, interesting. <clears throat> this sounds like exactly what happened in Oblivion. Obviously. <laughs> so... Uh, dedication to the Nine Vines uh, did not slacken in Oblivion, but the blood of Alessi's heirs must have failed. Uh-huh. Because the Nine Vines were strong there. Of course, in Skyrim, uh, I think Alessi's heirs have uh, retaken their rightful place, but uh, devotion to the Nine Divines is faltering because they're not into Talos in, in Skyrim. So. Damn. <laughs> That's why you get some Daedra in Skyrim. Mmm, <clears throat> goldfish. Bark, bark, bark. Uh, so, what do you think, Daddy? Oh, I don't know. It was important, but it was boring. <clears throat> it was not as interesting as I was hoping it would be. It was a little on the boring side. Not as bad as maybe yesterday. Maybe a little better than the first book, just because it was longer. It's a little wolf pelt. <clears throat> wolf pelt. Well, does wolf come before saber cat or after saber cat? Before. Okay, wolf pelt. One wolf <clears throat> pelt. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, the amulet of kings. <laughs> it's a boot. It's a boot. Boop. Bye. Bye. Bye, Felicia. Girl, bye. Okay, okay. Whoa, 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 Did you want to read the bear of Markarth? slow. Or fast. Yeah, I was going to do, like, it's a randomizer, like, moment. Like, boom, boom, boom. Hey! Oh, we've already read that, so moving on. Lusty Argonian Maid's been read. Sorry, folks, I had to yell at my dogs. Um. Our blue friend. Who's a blue friend? I want to know who the blue friend is. Oh, our blue friend. Oh, it's a note. This is a note. (gasps) This is the first time we've ever read a note. We've never read a note before. Ooh, drum roll, please. And open. This is our blue friend by Daddy T. No, I haven't forgotten about that thing you helped me with. I checked the Khajiit cell, and I'm a friend he hasn't have any flawless amulet stashed there. There's a strange necklace in some ebony ore, though. That's about it, unless you want a stupid bug in a jar for some reason. If none of that any use, I can cut it you in. On whatever I make for selling his weapons. His armor is already gone, and I'm afraid. If he wants to keep his cell, he'll have to raise a few more septums somehow. Norton. 
I think that was maybe about Inigo, who looks more purple than blue in my game. True. Um, well, that was an interesting side side moment. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, let's yeah. So we drop can, that. We, we can drop that now. We we read pick it. Pick a new thing. Pick a thing. Pick a thing. Pick a card. Pick a card. Ma, 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 ma. Boo, boo, boo. <clears throat> random, 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 random. We already read that. Well, off in the dragon. How about how about the? How can you even dropped it then? Um, because that was the uh, choose your. Oh no, we haven't read Olaf and the Dragon. Okay, we landed on that. So we're gonna, Daddy. Do you want to read Olaf and the Dragon? Yeah, let's read this. Okay, <clears throat> Olaf and the Dragon by Adonato Leotelli. By Daddy Tease. Leotelli. One of the more colorful legends is Nordfolk. One of the more colorful legends in the Nordfolk is the tale of Olaf, One-Eye, and Nemuix. Long ago, in the First Age, a fearsome dragon named Nemix ravaged the whole of Skyrim. The dreadful drake whipped out entire villages and burned cities and killed countless Norts. It seemed that no power in Tamriel could stop the monster. This was a troubled time in Skyrim's history, for a bitter war of succession raged between the Holts. The Jarls might have been able to conquer the beast if they had worked together, but trust was in desperately short supply. A skillful warrior named Olaf came forward and promised to defeat the beast. In some accounts, he is the Jarl of Winterrun, Whiterun. In other versions of the legend, Olaf promises the people of Whiterun that he will conquer the monster if they will name him Jarl. At any rate, Olaf ventures forth with a handful of his most trusted warriors and seeks the beast out, eventually finding Numix in his lair atop Mount Anthor. Needless to say, it is an epic battle. That's all I'm going to say about it. It was <laughs> epic. First... Olaf comes at the dragon with an axe in his shield, and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Some variants of the legend say that Olaf and the beast battled with blade and claw for days, but <clears throat> were too evenly matched for e either to gain an advantage. I had claws and fire, and he had an axe and a shield, and you know... Pfft, it evened itself out. Most accounts hold that Olaf, perhaps frustrated, as one would be, that his weapons are completely ineffectual against the dragon, and finally cast them aside. He's like, you know, my sword and shield, fuck the shit, I'm gonna throw it away. It's not working. Turn the page. Turn the page. Oh, turn the page. <clears throat> 
giving voice to the rage that has been building within him, as you know, it would have happened, Olaf unleashes a terrible shout. Ah! <laughs> he says to no one, here again, the stories diverge. One person's account and another person's account. You know, it gets lost over time. Here again, the stories diverge. Many accounts hold that Olaf did not realize he possessed the power of dragon speech. <laughs> you know, you forget you have this power, and you're like, oh, hey, look at this. I can have this power. Fusor Da, motherfucker. I can While others suggest that he had long possessed this gift, but wished to test himself against the dragon in Mortal Kombat first. Mortal Kombat! Finish him! Obviously. You're like, you know, I have this power. <laughs> I could shout this dragon away and kill him, but no. No. I'm going to use my sword and shield. Fuck yeah. Because I'm a man. And this is Mortal Kombat. I don't know what Mortal went Kombat! through my head. Virtually all variations of the legend, however, agree on what happened next. Apparently, there was so dismay, and they're like, no, 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 you guys, hey, this all happened. They're like, yeah, it totally did happen. This is how it went down. They're like, yeah, that's totally how it went down. Using the awesome powers of the Chokes. dragon language, as one would have, Numix <laughs> and Olaf engage in an epic shouting duel atop Mount Anthor. Ah, you fucker! Ah, I'm a dragon! I'm a fighter! Ah, ah. They're yelling back and forth, like, ah! Quit shouting at me! I but it was so epic! I think, actually, it was more of a yeet competition, and they took turns shouting goats off the top of the mountain to see who got the most distance. <laughs> I don't know. They're just shouting! Everyone's shouting! Epically! <laughs> And it's a duel of the shout. Using the awesome power, using the awesome powers of the dragon language. Yeah, Numerix and Olaf engage in an epic shouting duel atop Mount Anthor. So forceful are the words they said to shatter the stone and the split the sky. Fuck you! It's what they said. <laughs> that was epic. Fuck you. Finally, Numix collapsed. He's like, I can't take this shouting anymore. From a combination of injury and sheer exhaustion, you know. You Literally, get, I can't <clears throat> take this anymore. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> and this detail is conspicuously absent in the virtually every account. So nobody knows what really happened, but somebody made it up. Olaf manages to convey the dragon of all the way back to the capital city of Whiterun. He drugged this dragon by himself. That's after um, he won a shouting challenge. Do you have any idea how hard it is to drag a body that big that far in Skyrim? No, but I think he shouted it the whole way there. Ooh, that would be a lot easier. <clears throat> so, boots. people. Boots. Boots. <laughs> the people of Whiterun are suitably impressed with Olaf's hostage. <laughs> 
obviously. They build a huge stone holding cell at the rear of the palace, which they renamed Dragon's Reach. This is interesting all of a sudden. Yeah. This enormous cell serves as Numerix's prison until his death. Okay, that explains a lot. Olaf himself eventually becomes the High King of the Skyrim, putting an end to the War of Succession. Presumably, his great deed made him the only leader upon whom all people could agree, and so the land once again has peace. Look, I caught a dragon. He's chained up in the palace. I'm your king. No way. Fuck you all. <gasps> My liege. As a visitor to Skyrim, I find... Do you find what? As a visitor to Skyrim, I find... Oh, page turn. This tale both fascinating <laughs> and highly entertaining. It is one of the most elaborated legends of Nords, and one can easily understand why. It's a story of surpassing heroism in which a resourceful and worthy Nord does battle with a truly terrifying adversary and emerges victoriously by yelling, Julie, do the thing! A dragon into submission. The only way in which this could have been even more of a Nordic tale would be if Olaf beat Numerix in a drinking contest, which, book two, it's called Olaf and Numerix in a drinking contest. I mean, the legend maybe. is not without its doubters. However, the bard. Skarvnir, who lived during Olaf's reign, wrote and performed an alternative verse that challenged Olaf's version of events. <gasps> so if you can find this verse, if you can find that bard, you might get some intel. Enraged, the High King threw the rebellious bard in prison and destroyed all written copies of the verse. So if you find this verse, you can sell it on eBay for like $500. Fuck yeah. Make a buck. How would I love to lay hands on a copy of that verse? <clears throat> I admit. I am immensely curious to know what assertion Scarfnir made about how Olaf really defeated Numerix because, you know, I doubt he freaking yelled at him. Right? Die, dragon! Oh, it worked. Yeah. He died. There are a few ancient bard texts that provide one possible answer. Only no one. No way. These tomes suggest that Numnix was particularly foul-tempered because he was extremely old. Ageism. In these accounts, the dragon spends his final years terrorizing the countryside, like one dragon does, before flying off to the top of Mount Anthor to die in peace when a fucking idiot comes up and screams at him. 
When Olaf finds Numerix the old, the dragon is too weak to defeat it himself. Olaf and his men capture the beast without effort because he was dying. But decided to take advantage of the situation by fabricating a tarot tale in worth nothing that all Olaf's warriors. Oh, page turn. Who were said to witness the shout duel went on to become wealthy leaders during Olaf's reign as high king. Basically, he paid off all these people to say, hey, look what I did. If you say I I screamed a dragon to death, I will totes make you rich for life. I don't care if he was dying. I don't care if he was half dead. Oh, my God. I yelled at him. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And I won. Yeah. Yeah, It's a Mike Myers moment. However, it is equally likely that Skavner had some crude grudge against Olaf, and his scandalous verse was an attempt to damage the High King's reputation, obviously. Alas, we will never know, because the verses are gone. I leave you now, good reader, with this gentle reminder. A good historian must remain impartial and consider all points of view. Time has a way of distorting all records and events, so the closer you can get to the original source, the better. The The end. end. I will add to that sentiment that um, it's important to remember that history is written by the winners. Not always. Typically, though, like. Most of history is written by the winners, especially American history. History in the United States is written by. Oh, it's so bad. It's so fake. It's so fake. And it's written by the people who have won elections and won wars without any consideration for alternate points of view on what happened or an actual point of view like of the unadulterated version of what went down. So, like, you know, Columbus discovered America. No, he fucking didn't. (laughs) The fucking Vikings had been here for hundreds of years before that. (laughs) And also the Native Americans had been here for centuries. Hello. You didn't discover shit. Dumbass. Fucking Spaniards. Mm, liars. English. Columbus was a Spaniard. Mark. <laughs> Anyways, uh Daddy, what do you what do you think of uh Olaf and the Dragon? Good, yeah. <clears throat> How, Good. What would you rate it? Um I don't think I'd go a dragon Two scale. Ribs. So is that like uh, saber cat two eye and claws? Two saber cat eyes. Two saber cat eyes. I'm in with it. Yeah, both saber cat eyes. Fuck yeah, that was good. It wasn't quite uh, dragon scale good, but it was it was pretty fucking good. Bark. Um, <clears throat> so now that we've read it, it's good. It's worth a read if you find Olaf and the dragon in Skyrim or another Elder Scrolls game because apparently uh if they exist in multiple games they're all the same um read it it. 
it it's worth it um on that i think uh i think i don't know how many books have we read we've read three did we though and i think i think we should do a fourth this episode again i think we should go ahead and do another another book you guys want another book I think they do, and I think we're going to read Report Disaster at Loneth, or rather, I will read Report Disaster Ioneth. at Loneth. Um, Ioneth or Loneth? Ioneth. I think that's Ioneth, because capital L's are, look like L's. And are you reading this, or is <clears throat> Daddy from Storytime reading this? I'll read this one, and I'll let you uh, put some food in your muscle like I did during your read of the last book. <laughs> okay, so report a disaster at Ioneth. Report of the Imperial Commission on the Disaster at Ioneth by Lord Portrayed Chairman. That that sounds super official. Bark. Part one. Part one. Preparations. The Emperor's plans for the invasion of Akavir were laid in the 270s. When he began the conquest of the small island kingdoms that lie between Tamriel and Akavir. With the fall of the Black Harbor in Isroniet in 282, Ariel V was already looking ahead to the ultimate prize. He immediately ordered extensive renovations to the port, to the port, which would serve as the marshalling point for the invasion force and as the main supply source throughout the campaign. Those ribs are so good. We we literally have some ribs on a plate, and I've got Daddy's mic muted so he can enjoy eating without us listening to him chew. I dropped it. <laughs> he dropped a a rib on the floor, but I think he'd eaten. Oh, that one wasn't eaten mostly. Oh well, it's okay. We got a bunch of leftovers from the other night. <clears throat> I lost it. It's covered in hair. I'll get I it after. I'll get it after the episode. Don't I worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll get it after the episode. Or he, he's picking it up. He's got it. We got it. He got it. He's putting it on the plate in a place where it won't be eaten because it's covered in cat hair because Pancham. Anyways, okay, continuing. Back to our book. Back to our book. A marshalling point for the invasion force and as the main supply source throughout the campaign. At this time, he also began the construction of the many large ocean-going transports that would be needed for the final crossing to Akavir. How are we still on page one? We're on page two, in which the Navy was previously deficient. Thus, it can be seen that the Emperor's preparations for the invasion were laid well in advance. Before even the conquest of Ezroniet. I don't think that's right. was complete and was not a sudden whim as some have charged. When Prince Bashoman 
yielded Ezroniat to the Imperial Authority Authorita. In 284, the Emperor's full attention could be devoted to planning for the Akaveri campaign. Naval expeditions were dispatched in 285 and 286 to scout the sea lanes and coastlands of Akavir and various imperial intelligence agents, both magical and mundane, were employed to gather information on the basis of all this information, the kingdom of Ceci. Ooh, we're back to Ceci. In the southwest of Akavir, was selected as the initial target for the evasion. Meanwhile, the emperor was gathering his expeditionary force. A new Far East fleet page, was created for the campaign, which for a time dwarfed the rest of the navy. It is said to be the most powerful fleet ever assembled in the history of Tamriel. The 5th, 7th, 10th and 14th legions were selected for the initial landing with the 9th and 17th to follow as reinforcements once the beachhead was secured. Why does this sound like World War II? It was. <laughs> it kind of is. While this may seem to all the laymen a relatively small fraction of the army's total manpower, it must be remembered that this expeditionary force would have maintained at the end of a long and tenuous supply line in addition the emperor. And the army command believed that the invasion would not be strongly opposed. At least, at first. Perhaps most crucially, the navy had only enough heavy transport capacity to move four legions at a time. Question. <clears throat> yes? This is a make-believe world. Uh-huh. And it happens like <clears throat> <coughs> minuscule billion thousands years ago, obviously before real time. I mean, it seems like obviously, it. Obviously, right? Seems accurate. Would they really use the word navy? Oh, totes. Totes. The Romans had a navy. The Greeks had navies. Mm. So, yeah, navy is like naval and navy go way back. Go way back. That's not a modern term. I don't think it's a medieval term. Oh, it totes is. It's totes if the Spanish Armada, a navy, and the British Navy, and the, mm. the English Navy, the French Navy, like those were all things for real. 
Like, totally. 100%. Okay, so back to our look. Also, you can hear the birds in the background. It's not actually a Skyrim sound effect, although it sounds like one. They're actually, we have birds on our porch that we are do. nested in birdhouses. We have, we have two birdhouses on our porch. We have one that has a, a family of house finches. Yes, we have house finches that nested in a birdhouse in house. the porch of our house. And we also have another birdhouse next to it that's smaller that has a family of finches or juncos. Not 100% sure. I haven't paid enough the attention. Um, they're the juncos? Okay. So they're the, not the smallest bird, but the slightly bigger than that. Bark. Black and gray ones. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. So juncos and finches this year. In the past, we've had lots of uh, juncos or chickadees that nest there. This is the first time we've had house finches. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of cool. Okay, so back to our book. It should be noted here that the commission does not find fault with the emperor's preparations for the invasion. Because I do not wish to be beheaded. Based on the information available prior to the invasion, which, while obviously deficient in hindsight, great effort had been made to accumulate, the Commission believes that the Emperor did not act recklessly or imprudently. Again, to keep my head. Some have argued that the expeditionary force was too small. The commission believes that, on the contrary, even if shipping could have been found to transport and supply more legions, an impossibility without crippling the trade of the entire empire, by the way. <laughs> this would have merely added to the scale of the disaster. It would not have averted it. Neither could the rest of the empire be denuded of legions. The memory of the Cameron usurper was still fresh and the emperor believed and the commission agrees that the security of the empire precluded a larger concentration of military force outside of Damriel. If anything the commission believes that the expeditionary force was too large despite the creation of two new legions during his reign and the recreation of the fifth BT-dubs. The loss of the expeditionary force left the empire in a dangerously weak position relative to the provinces as the current situation makes all too clear. This suggestion that the invasion suggests. of this suggests that the invasion of Akavia was beyond the Empire's current strength. 
even if the emperor could have fielded and maintained a larger force in Akavir. Oh, oh, too too soon. H, too soon. The empire may have disintegrated behind him. Wow, this feels like a long book. This is a long book. This is part two now. Part two? Do you want to read part two, The Invasion of Akavir, Daddy? Sure. Okay, Daddy's going to read part two, The Invasion of Akavir. The Invasion of Akavir. The exceptionary force left Black Harbor on 23rd Keynes Hond, 288, and with fair weather landed in Akvair after six weeks at sea. The landing site was a small Sassisi port at the mouth of a large river chosen for its proximity to Tamriel, <clears throat> as well as its location in a fertile river valley, giving easy access to the interior, as well as good foraging for the army. All went well at first. The <clears throat> Sassisi had abandoned the town when the expeditionary force approached. So they took possession of it and renamed it Septimia, the first colony of the new imperial province of Akvir. While the engineers fortified the town and expanded the port facilities to serve the Far East fleet, the emperor marched inland with two. Oh, babe. <laughs> Legions. The surrounding land was reported to be rich, well-watered fields, and meeting no resistance, the army took the next city upriver. <clears throat> also abandoned. This was refounded as Lonith, and the emperor established his headquarters there. Being much larger than Septimia and better located to dominate the surrounding countryside, the expeditionary force had yet to meet any real resistance, although the legions were constantly shadowed by mountain enemy portals, <clears throat> port, port, portals, which prevented any but large scouting parties from leaving the main body of the army. One thing the emperor sorely lacked was cavalry. Due to the limited space on the transport fleet, although for the time being the battle mages made up for this with magical resistance. Oh, page. The Emperor now sent out envoys to try to contract the Tassisi king of whoever ruled this land. <laughs> They're like, I don't know, maybe it's a snake person, maybe it's not. But his messengers never returned. In retrospect, the commission believes that that vulnerable time was wasted in this effort. While the army was stalled at Lanith and could have been better spent in advancing quickly while enemy was still apparently surprised by invasion. However, the Empire believed that the time the Sassisi could be overruled by the Emperor's power 
and we might win province by negotiation, which no need serious fighting. No need for serious fighting. This is the time to turn page. Meanwhile, the four legions were busy building a road between Septimia and Lanith and settling up fortified guard posts along the river and fortifying both cities' defenses, activities which would serve them well later. Due to their lack of cavalry, scouting was limited, and communication between two cities constantly threatened by enemy raiders, which would, with which the legions were still unable to come to grips with. The original plan had been to bring two reinforcing legions across as soon as the initial landing had secured a port, but the fateful decision was now taken to delay their arrival and instead begin using fleet to transport colonists. The Emperor and Council agreed. Due to the complete abandonment of the conquered area by its native population, colonists were needed to work the fields so that the expeditionary force would not have to rely entirely on the fleet for supplies. In addition, unrest had broken out in Yesla athwart the supply route of Akvir, and the council believed the ninth. Oh, do we need a page? Page. And 17th legions would be better used in repositioning these territories and securing the expeditionary forces supply lines. Now, the civilian colonists and their supplies began arriving in Septimia in mid Hearthfire. And they took over the preparation of the fields which had been started by the legionaries, if you are curious, for a spring crop. A number of cavalry mounts were also brought over at this time, and the raids of the two imperial colonies subsequently fell off. Sassisi and emissaries also finally arrived in Lanith, and purportedly to begin peace negotiations, and the expeditionary force settled in what was expected to be a quiet winter. But it wasn't. It wasn't a quiet winter. At this time, the council urged the emperor to return to Tamriel with the fleet. Two. Page. Deal with many pressing matters of the empire, empire while the army in the winter quarters, but the emperor decided <coughs> it would be best to remain at Akfir. This turned out to be fortunate because 
large portions of the fleet, including the Emperor's flagship, was destroyed by an early winter storm during a homeward voyage. <laughs> the winter storm season of 288 to 289 was unusually prolonged and especially severe and prevented the fleet from returning to Akfir as planned with additional supplies. This was reported to the Emperor via Battlemage, and it was agreed that the expeditionary force could survive on what supplies it had at hand until spring. Oh my god, there's another part. Part three! The destruction of the expeditionary force. Do you want to read this, or do you want me to the read it? The winter weather of Akvar was also much more severe than expected. Due to the supply problems and the addition of thousands of civilians, an expeditionary force was on light rations, obviously. To make matters worse, the Tassini raiders returned in force and horrid any foraging and scouting parties outside the walls of the two cities. Several watched forts on the road between Septimia and Lonith were captured during blizzards, and the rest had to be abandoned as untentable. As a result, communication between the two cities had to be conducted entirely by magical means and a continuing strain on Legion's battle mages. On the fifth sun's dawn, a large entourage of Sassini arrived at Lawneth, claiming to bring a peace offer from Tessisi King. That night, these treacherous envoys murdered the guards at one of the city gates and let in a strong party of their comrades who were waiting outside the city walls. Their clear intention was to assassinate the emperor, foiled only by the vigilance and courage of the troopers of the tenth who were guarding the palace. Once the alarm was raised and the Tessisi inside the city were hunted down and killed to the last man, Needless to say, this was the end of the negotiations between the Emperor and the Sessisi. The arrival of spring only brought worse troubles. Instead of the expect- Oh my god, that is really cheesy. Right? The arrival of spring only brought worse troubles. Instead of the expected spring rains, a hot, dry wind began to blow from the east continue with varying strength through the entire summer. The crops failed, and even the river... Page. Oh, and even the river, which in... Which in the previous year had been navigable, navigable. by small boats far upstream with Vlanith, was completely dried up by the sun's height. It is unknown, and this was due to the previously unknown weather pattern unique to Akvare. 
or if the testisi manipulated the weather through magical means. The commission leans towards the former conclusion, as this is no direct evidence of the testisi possessing such fearsome arcane power, but later possibly cannot be entirely ruled out. They may or may not be mages. They may or may not have power. We don't know. Due to prolonged bad weather, the supply fleet was late in setting out from Black Harbor. It finally left port in early second seed, but was again severely mauled by storms and limped into Septimia eight weeks later, much reduced. Because of the increasingly desperate supply situation in Akvir, the... Emperor dispatched most of its battle mage corpse with the fleet to assist in the weathering the storms, which seemed likely to continue all summer. At this time, the council urged the Emperor to abandon the invasion and to return to Tamriel with the expeditionary force. But he again refused, nothing that the fleet was no longer large enough to transport all four legions at once. The commission agrees that leaving one or more legions behind in Akvir to await the return of the fleet would have damaged army morale. But the commission also notes that the loss of one legion would have been preferable to the loss of the entire expeditionary force. <clears throat> In this, the unanimous opinion of the commission that this was the last point of which complete disaster might have been averted. Once the decision was made to send the... I don't know you went so fast. I don't know if that censored. Made to send the fleet back to reinforcements and supplies, events preceded their inevitable conclusion. From this point on, much less is known about what transpired in Ekfair, with most of the, the uh, with most of the battle mages assisting the fleet, communication between the Agdensbury force and the Tamriel was limited, especially as the situation in the Akvar worsened and the remaining battle mages had their power strength to the limit, attending to all the needs of the legions. However, it appears that the Tassisia may also have been actively interfering with mages in some unknown manner. Some of the mages in Akvir reported their powers being abnormally weak and that the mages of the War College of Cyrodiil, who were bandling communications for the council, reported problems linking up with their com... comp... heart... Something in Akvir, even between master and pupil of long training. The commission urges that the War College made a particular study of arcane powers of the Tessisi should, should the Emperor even come into conflict with Akvir again. Now, 
What is known is that the emperor marched out of the Loneth in Midsun's height, leaving only small garrisons to hold the cities. He had learned that the Tessini were massing their forces on the other side of the mountain, ranged to the north, and he intended to smash their army before it could grab could gather full strength and capture their supplies which was in desperate need this rapt advance seems to have taken the testicy by surprise ah! <laughs> and the expeditionary force crossed the mountains and fell on their camp <laughs> routing the testicy army and capturing its leader a noble of some kind the emperor was soon forced to retreat. Retreat! And legions were suffered heavily on their retreat to Loneth. The empire now found himself besieged in Loneth, cut off from the small garrison at Septimia, which was also besieged. By this time, it seems that the efforts of the few remaining battle mages were devoted entirely to creating water to keep armies alive. A skill not normally emphasized at the War College. The fleet had arrived safely back to Black Harbor, thanks to the Battle Mage Corps, but also attempts to return to Akvir were frustrated by a series of even more savage storms that battled astronaut throughout the rest of 289 in case you wondered <clears throat> the council's last contact with emperor was early Fosfrol. by evening star the council was extremely worried about the situation in Ekvern ordered the fleet to sail regardless of its risks Despite continued storms, the fleet managed to press on to Akbar. Hope was raised when contact was made with Emperor's Battle Mage, who reported that Lanith still held out. Plans were quickly laid for expeditionary force to break out at Lanith and fall back to Septimia where the fleet would meet them. This was the last direct contact with the Exodensbury force. The fleet arrived in Septimia to find its garrison under savage assault from a large Tessisi army. The battle mages with the fleet threw back the enemy long enough for the survivors to embark and the fleet to withdraw. The few survivors of the Dentsbury force who reached Septimia whole bow. The Emperor had led the army out of Lanith by night two days earlier, successfully breaking through the enemy lines by being surrounded by overwhelming forces on the road to Septimia. They hold off a 
Herwick Last Stand by the Emperor and the Tenth Legion, which allowed a remnant of the Fourteenth to reach Septimia. Two survivors of the Tenth arrived in Septimia that night. Having slipped through the enemy lines during their uninscripted victory celebration, these men confirmed having seen the Emperor die, cut down by enemy arrows as he railed the Tenth Shield Wall. Oh my god, there's more! <laughs> Part 4. I will read the conclusion. Conclusion. I'll read this so you can eat some. <laughs> We've got some cheesy uh, goldfish and oh my god, they're so Oh my good. god, you guys. They're so fucking good. <laughs> and I'm on my third glass of wine, so. Cheesy. <laughs> That's where we're at. Okay, part four conclusion. This is long. Oh my god, this is the longest fucking book ever written in Elder Scrolls. What book is this again? I don't even remember. We'll have to wait and see because I don't want to have to flip all the pages to get back to part four to figure out what it's called again. <laughs> Note to Bethesda, you should have the title of the book always at the bottom of the screen in the uh, con commands section that only has LS turn pages. Um, anyways, okay, continuing. Part 4, Conclusion. The Commission believes that the invasion of Ekavir was doomed from the start for several reasons. By the way, if you do not have popcorn, get some fucking popcorn, because this is a popcorn book. Shit's about to go down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's already been fucking going down the Emperor's death. Okay, continuing. None of which could have been foreseen beforehand, unfortunately. Despite extensive intelligence gathering, the expeditionary force was clearly unprepared for the situation in Akavir. The unexpected weather which plagued the army and navy was particularly disastrous. Without the loss of a majority of the Far East Fleet during the campaign, the expeditionary force could have with been withdrawn into 89. The weather also forced the Emperor to assign most of his battle mage corps to the fleet leaving him without their valuable assistance during the fighting which soon followed. And of course, the unexpected drought which struck Ioneth during 289 dashed the hopes of supplying the army locally and left the expeditionary force in an untenable situation, where besieged in Lonith. Ioneth. Ioneth, Lonith. That the city were 
also much stronger than intelligence reports had suggested. Information on the size of the army that Tessessi were eventually able to field against the expeditionary force is vague as the only serious fighting took place after regular communications were cut off between the Emperor and the Council. Nevertheless, it seems likely that the Tessessi had numbered the Emperor's forces by several times, as they were able to force four crack legions into retreat and then keep them under siege for several hours. Months. Months. Several months. Not hours. Several hundred hours in several months. As was stated previously, the commission declines to criticize the initial decision to invade Akavir. Based on what was known at the time, the plan seemed sound. It is only with the benefit of hindsight does it become obvious that the invasion had very little chance of succession. Success. Success. Nevertheless, the commission believes Can several... Huh? Nothing. Okay. Nevertheless, the commission believes several valuable lessons can be taken from the disaster. First, the Tessassi may have extremely powerful arcane forces at their command. The possibility that they may have manipulated the weather across such a vast region seems incredible. And it should be noted that the commissioner strongly objected to the paragraph even being included in the report. But the commission believes that this matter deserves an urgent investigation. The potential danger is such that even the slight possibility must be taken seriously. Second. Second. The Tessasi appear to possess no navy to speak of. The expeditionary force was never threatened by sea. And the Far East fleet fought nothing but the weather. Indeed, initial plans called for a portion of the fleet to remain in Akavir for using coastal operations. But in the event that there were very few places where the large vessels of the fleet could approach the land due to the innumerable reefs, sandbars, Islands, etc., that infested the coastal waters north and south from Septimia. Due to the utter lack of trees in the plain around Septimia and Lonith, 
The expeditionary force was unable to build smaller vessels which could have navigated the shallow coastal waters. Any future military expeditions against Akavar would do well to consider some way of bringing a means for inshore naval operations in order to exploit this clear advantage over the Cessay. An advantage that was sadly unexploited by the expeditions. My god, this is a long fucking book. <laughs> Third. Bad. Much longer term study needs to be made of Akavir before another invasion could even be contemplated. The information gathered over four years prior to the invasion was extensive, but clearly inadequate. The weather conditions were completely unexpected. The Tassasi much stronger than expected, and the attempted negotiations by the Emperor with the Tassasi a disaster. Akavir proved alien beyond expectation, and the Commission believes any future attempt to invade Akavir should not be contemplated without much greater knowledge of the conditions, politics, and peoples of that continent than presently obtained. Finally, the commission unanimously, unanimously concludes that given what we now know, an attempt to invade Akavir is folly, at least in the present state of the empire. The emperor's legions are needed at home. One day, a peaceful, united empire will return to Akavir and extract severe retribution for the disaster at Loneth and for a fallen emperor. But that day is not now, nor in the foreseeable future. Thank God that's the end of the book. <laughs> it is. I can't turn the page. There are no more pages to turn. Oh, my God. Thank oh God. Oh, my fuck. Oh. Close that book. Oh. Okay. Report disaster at Loneth. I don't know if Loneth, huh? Hey, number one. It's time to end this podcast. <laughs> yes, the, we are approaching the end of the podcast. But before we can end the podcast, we got to do our quick book review. Number one, would you read it? I have no idea. 
I've read it and I don't know if I would read it. It was so long I forgot what I was reading. Yeah, it it really needs to be like a volume one, two, three, and four situation. Like parts one, two, three, and four. Like that book all by itself could have been a fucking podcast. Pretty much. Literally. Oh my god, that took so fucking long. Holy shit. This book was boring. But I, I, don't wanted, know. but I was, wanted to know what was going on. I feel like it was and wasn't boring at the same time. Like, if it was the only book we read on the podcast, I think we would have been more into it. But because it kept going on longer and longer and longer oh than we expected, <laughs> it was... Fine. It, it became Fine. boring. Fine. Give it a bear pelt. Um, yeah. Bear pelt. Bear pelt. Bear pelt, which comes after wolf pelt, obviously. Yeah, obviously. So bear pelt, it it gets a bear pelt. Read it if you come across disaster at Ulanith, Ionith, whatever. It is interesting. It's um, really really long. Just be prepared for a long read, without yes. the aid of my voice, Arr. <laughs> or daddy teases numerous voices. I Bark. don't even know. Bark. Anyways, I'm Pup Farstrider. I'm Daddy Tease. And this has been another episode of... Storytime with Daddy Tease from... Tamriel. I can't find the stop button. Oh, there it is. Okay. Bark!